Did anybody? Did you hear from Jody at all or no? Okay. She said she'd be here. I did speak okay. to her. So. All right. I want to call to order the City Council and the Planning Commission joint workshop. Uh, it's 4:03. May I have the roll call, please? Lance Smith here. Ken Burgess here. Mayor Monson here. Jody Wilkinson here. Steve Spina here. Charles Crocker here. William Poe. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate everybody being here tonight. Glad to see everybody from the Planning Commission. And you know, it, it, do you have do you all have a microphone over there where they can t give input or no? So how are we going to handle that? Corey's okay. on top of it. Very good. Check the batteries, please. <laughs> yep. oh, that's true. Um, so we'll go ahead and turn it over to Tammy. She can kind of remind us where we are at and then okay. continue. Good. Uh, good evening, members of the City Council and the Planning Commission. Um, my name is Tammy Verona with Verona Consulting, Safety Harbor uh, Planning Consultant to the City of Zephyr Hills. And uh, we are continuing a workshop that was held on November 27th. We ran out of time, so we're going to sort of wrap up. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of introduction just so everybody knows what we're, why we're here, and then we'll jump right into where we left off and then get into some uh, recommendations. You want to advance for me, please? Okay. So our workshop objectives, uh, last time we, under, we went through the existing conditions and trends, uh, including uh, some issues that regarding multifamily development and also things that were happening uh, in addition, such as population growth. We uh, explored some ways, some strategies to address the issues. And tonight we're going to discuss strategy recommendations and then hopefully get a course of action for uh, addressing the issues. Oops. Can we go back? I'm sorry, maybe I'm pressing. I'm pressing. Okay, this will work. Okay, so um, we had a, a, a discussion prompt. Is it one more? Can we do it? There we go. A discussion prompt that was uh, there to guide us last time. So the question was, how can we innovatively address demand for diverse and attainable housing options that blend seamlessly with existing or envisioned community character um, and align with the community's goals for sustainability and resiliency. And I'll just re reiterate what we discussed relative to the issues with multifamily development. Uh, there were some issues regarding the visual compatibility with surroundings, particularly in more suburban uh, rural areas of the city. There was issues uh, and complaints heard from uh, your constituents regarding traffic congestion, uh, also the potential for public infrastructure and service strain. And we added some additional uh, infrastructure and services on this list per some of the comments that we got from the Planning Commission. There's also the issue of limited water supplies for a growing population and the potential for green space loss uh, where groundwater recharge occurs uh, in portions of the city. So. Um, uh, Councilman Spina, I'll call you Steve Spina, but anyways, Spina, um, 
had requested some information regarding what's going on in the joint planning area, which is also the city's utility service area with Pasco County. Uh, and this map shows residential future land use designations. These would be the county designations in the joint planning area. And you can see that it's largely in those um, lower intensity um, residential districts, although there is a little bit of residential office retail on the um, US 301 corridor. Uh, so those are potentially where, I guess in probably the, the higher density, res six and nine, uh, is where you would potentially have um, multifamily requests in the future. Within uh, the joint planning area, we also looked at zoning districts that would be compatible with the Live Local Act, which was uh, established through Senate Bill 102. And you can see those, um, the sort of pinkish areas are commercial, the darker gray areas are industrial, the multifamily two uh, zoning, there's just little spots of that maybe over to the east, and then MPUD to the west and, and north. So those are places where multifamily could be established in conjunction with the provisions of the Live Local Act that we discussed in more detail last time. And a certain acreage or is that just strictly zoning for the uh, Live Local? Strictly zoning. Okay. I don't think there was a minimum, was there? No, no, no. I was just curious. I didn't know if we looked at. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Good. Okay. I mean, it's new, yeah, yeah, so we're all yeah. we're all learning at this. Yeah. Time. No, I don't think there was a threshold. I was just curious if if those were like more certain, than five acres, if they yeah. were a certain size. No. We just picked up everything that we saw. Okay. And then relative to the Live Local Act uh, potential within the city, um, the C2 zoning. These are vacant parcels with C2 zoning and also light industrial. Um, also, if there's a, a parcel that's already been developed that's commercial or industrial, those could conceivably be redeveloped to become multifamily. So that's just kind of give you a more of a sense, adding onto the maps that we looked at last time as to where multifamily could occur. So um, also last time we talked a little bit about the, uh, the by right uh, zoning in for the R4 district and also conditional use. So I just wanted, to, we're gonna talk about this as a recommendation later on, so I wanted to bring this table up. You can see the R4 category there in yellow, and the height restriction um, is two stories or 30 feet there in the, the center of the slide. And then this is a, another provision that relates to height regulations. So, you know, all height limitations that are expressed in your zoning districts are the maximum. Um, however, there can be a uh, a consideration, cons excuse me, conditional use that could allow for higher um, heights. Uh, and then at the top it says the mid-rise mid structures, you know, defined for the purposes of the code as buildings of three to five stories may be permitted if all applicable conditional requirements of Resolution 147 are met. And that's something that we didn't get was a copy of the 147. So. Yeah, yeah, the re so that was relative to fire department. As long as you're meeting all your fire safety codes, you could go up. Okay, so that's background. Oh, I thought I moved this to the back, but anyway. So one, so one of our recommendations, and I'm gonna give you a preview of it now, is that um, we would footnote this table 
where it indicates what the maximum height is, and it would fit footnote for those um, structures that may be requested to be taller than the two, two stories, that we would limit those to certain locations. So we could potentially limit it to the, com the community redevelopment area for now, just as sort of an in interim uh, fix so that while we're developing the comp plan update and having and, and land development standards, uh, that there would be something that would protect in the meantime. So you don't want to necessarily preclude your potential to do taller buildings where there are facilities and services and walkability and things for, that are appropriate for a multifamily development. You could still invite those into your community through a conditional use process, but they would no longer be allowed through conditional use in other areas such as um, with annexations that come in. So when we're looking at the density issue, we, we probably don't want to preclude ourselves from going back to where you just can have two stories and no, no conditional use process because that we, we could limit it citywide. Where we, if we keep the conditional use process, we can designate areas where that would be appropriate. Right, so you go ahead and, and a recommendation is to maintain your 20 units per acre. Um, it's, it's pretty difficult, if not impossible, to accomplish a taller unit, uh, tall, taller than the two stories, at the 20 units per acre without going taller. Because you have things like parking and drainage and just the uh, you know, open space requirements, landscaping that you would need to satisfy and that really kind of eats up the the land that you would be able to spread out to accomplish the 20 units per acre. However, there would be a pro, would be areas in town such as in your CRA that are um, suitable, more suitable for more intense multifamily development and those would still be allowed through a conditional use process. So they still would need to come to you, you would need to consider their appropriateness and their compatibility and impose conditions um, as you see fit, but those would, wouldn't be by right, but it would still be conditional use. Oh, going, if we didn't go back to the 14 acres, even uh, 14 units per acre, even at 20 units per acre, it would be difficult to reach that threshold with all the other site requirements that we require. That's correct, okay. that's correct. Councilwoman Wilkson. Hi there. Hi there. I, I was going to hold my question to the end, but I think that this is a good time to talk about this. And that is my first question is these properties that fall under the new state bill that are commercial, are there limitations as it relates to height and density for if they are to, to um, use that property as multifamily housing? Yes, they would, be, um, they would be allowed to use any density, the highest density that you have available in your community or in your zoning code, and then also the tallest height within one mile of the property. So what we're proposing in another strategy is that there be multifamily standards that would be no matter what district that you were in, that multifamily needed to be context sensitive. So right now you have standards within your land development code for townhouses so we would simply just take you know what you've been doing already and apply it to other forms of multifamily so that if you did come in with a live local act development that even though you're getting your by your 
by virtue of the the law that you could do the density and the height, you would still have to um, d like abide by the standards. But if we lowered the density to 14 units per acre, then that would limit the, the size and the scope yeah. of the project yes. that was intended for yes, that. Yes, it would. Yes, so it what would. it would do is tie the developer's hands to the point where they could not make it cost effective to build a, a, a facility like that without our cooperation or special yeah, well, there would be that. And then also with the standards, if there were standards that required, you know, more larger setbacks, more green space allocations, whatever that you um, assign to the particular context. So you may have standards that apply to uh, the, your US 301 corridor north of town that would be very different than the standards that you would apply in your CRA area. That also could be limiting as to what density you could achieve. And do we have any idea, looking at the future land use maps in and around us, how many parcels we're talking about for the multifamily? I can't imagine there's that many left. Be, go, back, go back to the industrial. It's a lot. I guess I can't go. Well, I my my. That was the yellow, and, and I, quite honestly, that yellow was very hard to tell the yeah. difference. You know, there's yellow and banana. It looked a little bit better bef before we put it on the screen, so it was a little <laughs> more distinct, and now it, yeah, blended a little. But, but I mean, is it a? Tr I mean, how many, <laughs> how many parcels are we talking about? classifications are in their current uh, number of units that are allowed um, but again I, if it's going to be annexed into the city we're, we're going to control what we want that property to come in from a f future land use standpoint in a zoning and it would have to be pretty unique I would say for us to want to go out into the hinterland and allow 20 units per acre now if it's part of a really nice good-looking uh, plan unit development that includes some multifamily then that's one thing but you know I, I think whether or not you're looking at the county's flu and zoning uh, the Senate bill 102 slide <coughs> we had was C2 and LI a lot of those properties I don't think are conducive to multifamily projects now the one at Acme on 39 Chansey that's being looked at but outside of that one I don't see a lot of those going multifamily and, and I guess the, the you're right about the uh, industrial or the, that Senate the bill does widen the scope a little bit but I in my own mind is like is like hey you know you, we'll go ahead and we can try but we can say no you can't and then we'll figure out what happens you know um, but contextually nothing out there nothing north of Otis Allen really in my mind is gonna be bigger than two-story right you know I mean everything out there is like larger larger pit parcels of land with houses on it and its fields and you know I just don't envision that being compatible to me now I guess we can think about this is there's going to come a time when none of us are all involved in it anymore you know well that again that's why we're trying to we're updating our comp plan Pasco County's updating their comp plan we're trying to get a schedule 
to meet with the folks updating the county's comp plan. We need to be in unison in these particular areas, that being probably the priority, I would say, both having the same vision. So that vision gets put in the comp plan. So regardless of when Tammy and I are gone and you guys are gone, that vision is set and people know what the vision was. Thank you. Uh, Todd, I have a question for you. What, what's currently the, what does the county currently allow per acre for density? I can't remember. Well, uh, well, the density is, is in the flu that we saw, and that was like 1369, then it goes up. I think in a technology, uh, uh, whatever they call them, the, the density even goes up to 26 units, I think, if it, there's some, criteria established with that but it's very high in your industrial technology districts like or zones employment, employment, employment zone centers i guess it is yeah yeah but the, when you see the number after where it says residential <coughs> nine that's nine units per acre oh okay thank you oh i'm sorry well and i i think that's one of our challenges is you know, we talk about the development, and there's a lot of development going on around us that we don't have control over. However, what we do have control over is what we should be concentrating on. And, um, I mean, we've got to look at why we're here to begin with. I mean, we're, we're doing a workshop on density, and there's a reason for it. And it's, you know, we talk about our water issues. We've got traffic. It's just horrendous. We all know that um, infrastructure always lags behind development anyways. But in the last few years, we've had just a... You know, we've just been inundated. And even though we have all this land out there, and like you said, we're not going to be here forever. So there can be other people involved making the decisions. <laughs> I mean, right now, you can drive around Paso County, see every available piece of land that they can throw them four-story apartments up on, they're doing it. Right. And so um, I think we need to just concentrate and worry about what we can control. I mean, I know we can't do anything about that. I like the idea of the redevelopment you were talking about earlier in, in places like that. but. Um, I think, uh, you know, in my opinion, I still think we need to roll the density back to 14, which it was. Developers were still developing townhome projects and things like that. We weren't stopping development, but we weren't at a breakneck pace that overtook our, our ability. I mean, we even talk about fire rescue, trying to get places around town. I come down from the top of the hill there, as far as I can see, all the way to Wawa, line of traffic. And all I can think of is, man, if I was having a heart attack somewhere in an ambulance needed to get to me, that's going to be struggle. <laughs> Yeah. There's people who won't go places because of the, it's just too much of a hassle. I mean, you hear people all the time say, oh, I don't want to go to a rage game. I don't want to have to drive through all that traffic. Well, we're getting the same thing right in our own town now. Yeah. People don't want to go places because it's too much of a hassle. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to address our issue, what we can control. Um, I'm a firm believer in, you know, let's start here. And, you know, we have variances that we can use as an effect to maybe we can go here. But, you know, it's just like giving a kid a 12 o'clock curfew and telling them, but I really want you home at 11. Mm -hmm. Well, they're going to come home at 12. So if you tell them, <laughs> you know, if you tell them I want you home at 11, but on a special circumstance, I might let you stay out till 12. You know, I'd rather go that direction than start up here and then say, hope that, you know, the density levels are less. I'd rather roll back the density to 14 and look at our variances and different things. And I'm okay with certain areas like, uh, like redevelopment. We've already, you know, kicked the bucket over there by public, so that's already established. I mean, so that's already an area that is conducive to those uh, larger projects. But anything else, I I'm, I'm, would rather roll back and start here and work up to that instead. That's my opinion anyways. 
I have a question. Todd said you're talking with Pasco County, kind of for the joint service area, and and you know, I mean, theoretically, the city should be denser and you know a little more um, urban, I guess, for lack of a better term, than the county areas should. But I think you know, the county <laughs> lately it seems like they haven't seen a development they didn't like. So, who knows what? what levels they can go um i i think we need to have some kind of we need to decide what we want to do for ourselves that's like kenny said i mean that's vitally important but i think we need to find a way to talk to pasco county and maybe establish an east pasco <laughs> code that will help limit some of it otherwise it could be very sporadic so we have had conversations with Pasco County staff on a number of occasions uh, regarding the US 301 North Corridor and then also the one to the south and then industrial area of course. Uh, we have communicated with them recently and we found that they're in the process of doing their public workshops right now and then they're going to be creating potentially place types such as what Zephyr Hills is considering. And we thought that it would be a perfect opportunity for the two, and maybe Dade City as well, because I think they're updating their comp plan too, for us to be thinking about maybe even common names for like place typologies, and then and especially in those kind of shared environments that we make a decision or we you know we collaborate on what those place types would be. So we're all on the same page as we go forward with planning. Uh, so there, I think there's it's aligned timing wise very ideally um but you know of course you got to do the work so yeah and also there was a us 301 land use and transportation corridor that was uh that uh, resulted in a model form-based code or a hybrid code i think that was prepared maybe around 2016 2016 or so so the the three local governments have worked together on the u.s 301 north corridor in the past and there is somewhat of a vision for that but of course that would we'd probably re, we have the public input we did hear from the community as to what they thought should be appropriate in that area and i think we take that we uh, combine it with what we you know because we're like a different county now right from 2017 everything's grown so so much um, but that's an opportunity, I think, for us to build on that and then um, everybody update and create policies and then land development regulations that you actually have something that you can enforce. Amy, uh, along them lines, so um, where does that stand exactly right now as far as, I mean, I thought that was smart, forward thinking, what was presented to us and how many years ago has it been, Todd? It's, it's like 20... Seventeen. Yeah, and, and six years ago, and just like you said, it, the, the landscape of the county has changed tremendously in that amount of time. Right. So I think that was really smart forward thinking on our part. I'd just like to know where that is, because if, if we're not down the road a little bit on that, the county might just say, well, we're, we're going to keep right on planting. Well, we've been and, in front of them. I know okay. Todd's been really great about, you know, pulling a meeting together. You know, their staff is very busy. They're, you know, they're uh, doing development review and all kinds of different, you know, planning products to keep up with the growth that they've had. So it's not as though they, they're not interested. I think it's just been lack of staff resources. I don't know what your interpretation well, is on it, Todd. And yeah, I, I pushed them on multiple occasions and 
and we were Tammy and I were the ones that got this started we we got the county and got Dade City because we saw that beautiful hill sides protect the view sheds so on so, conservation subdivisions um, but really the reality of it is it's 90% of that's in the county so they got to be on board uh, we're trying to get with them to make sure that they place this framework we're talking about in their comp plan and hopefully Dade City they're updating their comp plan too so we can all get the framework with the vision in our comp plan and and then yeah move forward but that's the next step is getting this vision into the comp plan you know we're further ahead than the other two entities but yeah that's the goals yeah, and the I think county has to be a part of that because yeah, I think that's important because the county has and they've had their own challenges I mean they had a moratorium for a while and I don't know if it's back on or back off or whatever so they they have their own challenge they're working with too and I think it's important to push that along because that again benefits us you know too so and and I also wanted to say uh, just follow up on what I was saying earlier and, and Steve had brought up a good point last time is how do we tell how do we go about making sure we tell these people what's well, okay to do that but these people it's not so I mean we really need to put that in there too like redevelopment or an area that's already established or something so I think we need to do that too well with the conditional use process you know the properties are seldomly the same right you have different contexts different development um, so I think that establishing a precedent is probably not what you're doing but you may feel pressured that you think that there's a precedent but maybe there really isn't so um, maybe just they are unique but <clears throat> they aren't they are unique I agree with you. Yeah. So as far as um, in allowing for density in your urban area, you know, you could potentially just address that through your comprehensive plan and land development, well, I guess land development code. Um, if you felt uncomfortable with maintaining the 20 units per acre, I know that Gail Hamilton spoke last time about the, the need for maybe even increasing increasing the density within the community redevelopment area and I know the form-based code area provides for um, I think up to five stories we do need to look at the density within the future land use category and that that actually allows that um, so there's some tweaking that we need to do so there's many ways to get about what you're you're thinking that you need to do to kind of protect those uh, outline areas but um, yeah let's just talk about what what we can do and what you feel comfortable with tonight so let, let me ask you a question though and because I'm thinking about it in my head a little bit and and I just the exercise I think about is Pasco County has a ton of these developments all around you know with what are they four to the acre or whatever four or five to the acre <clears throat> and you know if, if you scraped all those up and put them in one area and had all this open area out there it seems like it'd be better you know and, and and I guess what I'm trying to say is when you start spreading people out you start causing some traffic issues density doesn't doesn't density doesn't necessarily cause traffic issues and I and I think the right project like we said before in the right place it makes sense and just like these tiny houses I'm they're probably 20 to the acre some of them some of them and it might solve a, a, a problem where you give people affordable options. So I just hate uh, shutting the door on potential projects. I want to limit where they are, for sure. I think that's smart. But I think slamming the door on them might be short-sighted. 
Well, well the key. I, I, I think you're right in the, the, the idea of that. If we do, we're able to do that, you've got a density of whatever it is. Say, it, say it's 15 an acre, and you put it all in one spot. But the problem is, wherever there's open land, it's going to end up getting developed sooner or later down the road. I mean, that would be great if it stayed that way, but it won't. Yeah, and I, I guess the future land use kind of determines when we bring something in what, what we zone it as a city, doesn't it? I mean, <clears throat> I mean, and it's, I personally think that the sprawl has caused the traffic. That's, that, that's kind of my thought on it. Friends don't let friends sprawl. <laughs> that's right. That's right. However, well, we do still have a significant number of yeah. residents who are living in those apartments who get in their car and go to Tampa every day or, you know, or come from Tampa to go work at the hospital every day. And so when I look at the apartment buildings at Publix, for example, to me that feels like that area is saturated. Like any more high-density residential development in that area is just going to create a, a major issue. Um, you know, maybe if we have a partner at the south end of town or somewhere, you, know, you see what I'm saying is as long as it's on an accessible route for people, especially if it has an affordable housing element, which all of these... Um, SB 120s have to have is that, that affordable housing element. But, but what if you had a, a, a somebody coming in that wanted to do a graduated care because the hospital was there and all the medical was there and wanted to do it high density for older people? I mean, so that's a good example because the parking requirements for a use like that are much lower because those people are not getting their cars going anywhere. If they have to go to the grocery store, they might walk or they might, or they might take a bus take or a bus. something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I, I agree. But if anything comes to us and it's a, it's a conditional use, then we have the opportunity to say, okay, well, that's exactly what we're looking for. And really, I think we should limit what we're looking for to what our current needs are. So this missing middle, if somebody comes to us and they don't have an, an, an element of affordable housing. When I say affordable housing, I don't mean 120, you know, 120 percent of the of the median uh, income, because that's, that's like eighty six thousand dollars a year or something like that. So, you know, if you look at those numbers, they're still not they're not low income housing. Right. They're, they're affordable is a misnomer, in my opinion. So that's the reality is that we're in a place now where we are not able to provide affordable or low-income housing for those people who are living on a fixed income, and and we don't have any projects in the site in our sites that that meet that requirement. And again, before that conditional use gets to you, as we just went through the exercise, uh, planning gets the project in before they make the formal submittal. We reviewed in-house, come up with our ideas. I get with Billy, we discuss it, and then then we meet individually with you guys and. We, on the only remaining R4 property in the city, on the north end of town, as you all know, they wanted to build four-story apartments. They heard, before they made their formal submittal, we weren't in favor of that. Now it looks like it's trending towards two-story townhomes. So I, I believe that with this new methodology and process that we have in place with kind of sharing the, the project information before they make their formal submittal, was effective in that example, and again on our last R4 zone property. I just wanted to back up uh, 
Councilwoman Wilkinson on that. You know, we, we keep talking about affordable housing, but when people hear affordable housing, they're not thinking the same thing what that says by any means. I've been saying that for a couple of years now. So, I mean, we do have to look at it, but, uh, um, you know, again, I keep going back to what, what we're doing now can all be changed, too. So, um, but we got to do what we can do for this moment and then let s some other generation worry about down the road again because I've been through I've been in the construction industry pretty much my whole life and I've seen the ups and downs and you know there's been some really breakneck pace things that kind of overstepped the bounds of what we were used to seeing. The ironic thing about the affordable housing question is it wasn't that long ago that this whole CRA area was affordable housing. A lot of the mobile home parks were affordable housing, and that's not the case anymore. So they call the more those <laughs> naturally occurring, well, those naturally occurring retirement communities, but naturally occurring affordable housing. And that's the housing that's really in, at risk when you have escalating prices and people are squeezing other people out because you know, everybody's looking for housing and, the, and you're building fewer and fewer and fewer of those affordable or entry level type of units. And so they just become to where they're almost like non-existent. When someone's looking for a home, there's 10 houses maybe in the entire East Pasco that they can find that's affordable to them. Without doing it. Right. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's, it's like squeezing people out. And it's all relative too, because there are last brought up a slide to show where these people are coming relatively um, to Hillsboro and Pinellas County. Those are the people that are moving here to them. It is affordable. Right. I mean, I met people, you know, living in state. Abbott Square that told me that they, the one guy I talked to, grew up here, moved to Hillsboro County to Tampa, and then now has a family, moved back because it was more affordable. And in my mind, those are expensive homes. <laughs> You know, I mean, the way uh, um, you know, we're like 25 minutes into this discussion and, and we've got a diverse group of smart people sitting over there that I would like to hear from if they have anything to add, because um, I put a lot of stock in what the Planning Commission does, as I know we all do. And uh, and I know all of you are, and have different perspectives on things. And, I, and if you guys have anything to add, I sure would like to hear it. I do. First of all, um, my biggest question is, is Beth Aker, Planning Commission. Uh, my first question is, I continually hear the word vision, but nobody has defined what your vision is. So what is your vision? If you can't have a goal, you can't make a strategic plan if you don't have what the end vision is. So is your end vision a retirement community? Is it a shopping community? Is it a retail community? Is it a you know, a destination for what? What is it you're bringing these people here for? What is your vision? Nobody can answer that? That's well, sad. I think that's what we're trying to do I know, the process. But, you, but what is that? It's not density. You're, you're, you're focusing on your density, but no one has defined what that vision is. Do you want a large community? Do you want a community that's 75,000 people with lots and lots of homes? What is the vision that you want people to come here for? Why do you want people to come to Zephyr Hills? Oh, I can address that if no one else can. Right? Well, I mean, I think that, I think it's different for everybody. I, but I you think can so do it too. You, but you're, I mean, I understand. But that that's what we're trying to do: is come to a consensus here, though. 
but your community, you want to have a all like-minded to have what that vision is. You know, like Dade City, it's full of quaint little shops to go antiquing and, and over in San Antonio with everybody's coming to the uh, lagoons and things like that. So is there a vision for Zephyr Hills or the city of water? Is there a vision that you would like to see other than focusing on what the density is and how do you get there? Well, I think we're focusing. Sense? I think we're focusing focusing on the density because we're trying to maintain a. Actually, I, I don't think we want to be a city of seventy-five thousand people. We're trying to maintain our um, posture as a small community that has yeah. small town know, charm. Yeah, yeah. yeah certain Serving. attributes so that then make that's your vision. Is you know, kind of a small town at atmosphere, mm -hmm. uh, close to shopping. Uh, we have some things here. Uh, we want to. Uh, rehabilitate the downtown you know I think we're trying to maintain it's almost like we're holding on by the seat of our pants trying to to do all this at one time and and it's coming at us so fast that um, and and the density question is really how do we best do that without um, denying people property rights and and limit we don't want to be kind of the say the no to everybody in terms of development but we want a, a controlled pace where we can offer that kind of atmosphere and community. And, that, and that's a very good description of keeping that small town feel of what that vision is. So thank you. That's me. Well, and, for, and same for me. I mean, I think for me, even more specifically, we want a, a community that is cohesive, but diverse in terms of socioeconomic and you know cultural differences i mean i think that's those are all good things to have in a community we want a place for people to be able to work live and play so we want them to be able to work here so that's why we're preserving working so hard to preserve light industrial and and you know manufacturing and we want people to have thriving businesses so that they can provide you know small employment opportunities for the people who live in our community so for me it's really a healthy diverse and not overly compact or, or, or you know, populated space. And I know place. you talked about partnering with the county and, and Todd, when this has been years ago when we talked about the corridor between Dade City and Zephyr Hills and keeping that landscape and, and the topical view of what that is. And the county just put in a, what is it, four or five story uh, storage facility right across from my house. So, you know, even though the city has a goal of what 301's corridor is supposed to look like, and both Dade City and, and Zephyr Hills worked on that, the county allowed that big facility to come in. So it's really uh, difficult, unless you're partnering with all of those, to really find out who's doing what behind the scenes. And I just want to follow up on a couple of the comments that the council members made. And, um, you know, we are we're trying to revitalize. We're always working on the, the Main Street program and so forth. I think density is something we have to look at in the big scheme of things and what we want to be because we want to remain a community and if we just, but what we want is that diverse, you know, people moving in, but we want them to assimilate into the city of Zephyr Hills. I taught high school at Zephyr Hills High School for 30 years. The school board, everybody knew that Zephyr Hills and Dade City were the two high schools that were really community high schools because of the way the town was. 
I don't want to lose that. I think looking at density is an important part of that because we don't want people coming here to live here just because there's a new apartment complex for them to live in. I want them to be a part of Zephyr Hills. And so I think we need to look at all those things are a big part of that, so. Let's let the planning commission, go ahead. Krista Remington on the Planning Commission. I appreciate that we're having this conversation because this is a really big issue for our community. Um, and just something that comes to mind is, yes, we want people to move in and assimilate into Zephyr Hills, but we also want to provide affordable housing for those who are already here. I've talked to a lot of people who are in um, poor housing conditions in Zephyr Hills, and they would love to move in to some of these new places, but they get snatched up so quick by people who are outside, coming from Tampa, coming from other communities. So it would be great if there was a way if we could give priority to those who are already in our community, and they could you know, move up into a better housing situation. Uh, so that's one thought I have. And then the other is I'm in favor of reducing the density because the Live Local Act, as far as my understanding, kind of takes some of the control away from our community. You know, for developers, they can do more um, without, you know, the say-so of the council. Uh, so, you know, reducing that and then having exceptions is, in my opinion, the way to go because it gives some of that control back to us um, without, you know, having people who are outside who are not invested in our community of uh, being able to make decisions. Well, I, I, I would say um, Randy Stovall, Planning Commission, and I, I would just say uh, Krista, I think, summed up what I was thinking pretty well. And I, I agree. Uh, if, you look at, if you look at the history here, when we had the 14 as our number, it didn't stop people from coming and saying, I want something more. And, but you get a chance to talk to them, as, as Todd says. If it's higher, they don't have to ask. And they might ask for five floors or something, but I, I don't think you're going to inhibit people who want to develop by having that lower number as your starting place. And, you know, you don't have to say yes to the next thing, so, but you could if it makes sense in the place you want to be. Um, it, you know, history, recent history anyway in our area is there's no shortage of ideas from the development community. And, and I don't think there's going to become one, and I don't think we will be losing uh, projects that we like um, if, if we've lowered the, the starting place. Dr. Stovall, very good point about that is that we have an exceptional planning staff, and we have accessibility, and that's one thing developers don't get dealing with the county. Excuse me, David Armstrong, Planning Committee. Uh, as far as the density issue, I thought that we had a workshop a few months ago with the council and with the planning, and maybe I was asleep, but I thought the consensus of that meeting was that we would go for 14 units per acre, and it just vanished. You're correct on that. And... and Another thing, the attraction to the community. I was always saying that it's convenient. I live, I've lived here for almost 50 years now, and it's certainly convenient to do whatever I want to do in the city. Now it's getting to be, it's convenient as long as I don't have to drive. <laughs> I 
Rosie Paulson, um, Planning Commission. Um, being one of the newest person, I guess, that moved to Sefra Hills for, you know, um, the um, big city feel, but with a small town charm. So recently I got interviewed by um, Spectrum 9, and she didn't realize that we were so close. So I was able to just walk her around all downtown and show her what we have. And the beautiful things that, that we have uh, in the city, she took a big picture of city council, and I said, this is the library, and this is when we get together. But I think the biggest takeaway that uh, I had and what she had is the getting involved and making a difference. And I think that's one of those things that I appreciate about each and every one of you guys in, in the planning commission, because even though sometimes I hear that we might, it might not be in our lifetime that we will see the change, we are making a change. And we keep in our authenticity as Sephrahillians to be able to stay true to who we are. And if we, if we do that, we're gonna attract the right people that will come to live and play in here and keep our traditions alive. So that's how I feel. Thank you. Uh, Ellen Taylor, Planning Commission. Um, I moved here about maybe like, oh, last year. Um, and I actually really enjoy the city. I enjoy the small town vibe uh, that you guys have created. Um, it's definitely giving the city um, the, the charm and every, you know, everything like that. Um, as far as the affordable housing, I would agree with affordable housing as well. When trying to come here, um, actually in the past it was very affordable and I was actually surprised at the prices. Um, now it's a little, you know, it's a little bit higher than what it used to be and I know with the economy and things like that and rent has to increase. So, um, but affordable housing for people who really need it would, you know, it would be, that would be important too. As far as density goes, um, I do believe that building a firm foundation on what we have here is important. important. And then as far as branching out, um, you know, I'm not too sure on the uh, wording of that, but um, building on what we have here and focusing on creating the atmosphere that you want to create to invite the people that you're trying to get would be um, important and vital. And I know that you guys are putting in the work to do that as well. Thank you. Thank you all for your input too, and we appreciate you good. being here. Um, and you know, we all have seen it change. And I just we're the little we're the little. Uh, brother or little sister to Pasco County who's just this big behemoth thing so while we're sitting up here talking about this we got it we got to have dialogue with them I mean because it, we haven't seen anything yet honestly if you look and see the projects that are planned around 56 and up in that Pasadena Hills area you're probably I mean it's well over a hundred thousand units that are that are already probably entitled over there um, and every one of those cars is going to come right down 301 to the shopping and everything. So, I mean, I, we 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 got to start trying to work with them. I mean, I, but it's almost like I come sometimes kind of feel a little defeated because it, the cat's out of the bag almost at this point. But we got to try. You know, We've got to do everything we, we can. We can shape it. And, and uh, just in thinking about what the planning commission said, you know, relative to the vision 
This is the comp plan is your land use vision. And thinking about building on your foundation, you have a great model in your downtown. And even the form-based code area looked at your downtown and your in-town neighborhoods and said, let's try to recreate that, but a little bit more intense because it's on a highway and it could really could build a lot of value within your, why not have nodes like that in other locations of the city? I think that's what the US 301 land use and transportation vision set out to do, that there were already entitlements out there. It's not as though that you could pull those in, but we were indicating that if you wanted to go by this form-based code that eventually could be um, adopted, that you would be able to have a little bit more density or intensity in nodes. And if you didn't, you could just use your same zoning district and um, just do what you always could do. So there is something that you can do relative to um, planning with the community. We talked about the where should we grow, how shall we grow, you know, asking the community to come together and say, you know, we've got population coming to East Pasco and where are people going to live and what sh how should we shape the future of our community? And is it single family homes spread out everywhere that you see in my county of Pinellas now that, you know, I look at it as a, uh, an example of, and they're redeveloping now and they're changing, but there was a lot, a lot of years where it was a lot of single family and a lot of congestion. And then they just built to a point where they couldn't build any more roads, couldn't build any more single family houses and they had to start creating centers. Um, so you could do that now and not have to redo it in, you know, 50 years when it just gets to be, you know, because things get old and tired, right? So you'd end up, the, the neighborhoods aren't as valuable anymore. So uh, especially if there wasn't um, a lot of thoughtfulness put into the design of those subdivisions and things that came in. So there really is an opportunity, I think, to, um, to think about where those density centers, those nodes might be and then let the other areas be, you know, perhaps with the use of conservation subdivisions, you could have a lot of uh, environmental areas set aside and then have more little pockets of, you know, little hamlets almost, you know, that they don't, density doesn't need to be bad, it just needs to be shaped well and also, you know, as on the slide it says complete connected communities, just like if you're downtown and in town, you have an opportunity probably to not have to drive your car and you could, you know, walk and get a bite of food or meet up with your, your friends at the park. But if we're not doing that in those outline areas, then they're never going to be connected enough to where they can be walkable. They're going to be single use, you know, separated from everything else, have to get in your car. Transit can't serve them because they're not dense enough uh, for transit to really be viable. So it's a lot of things that are kind of wrapped into that, but it doesn't need to be in the wrong place. You know, it has to be a thoughtful process as to where where the density will go. And, you know, hopefully with working with the community, there'd be um, some acknowledgement that we do need to plan and it can't always stay exactly the same, um, but it can be still, I mean, just like with your downtown and in town, at some point, this was just the open rural area and probably didn't have a lot of people and maybe they, they pushed back but maybe not. Maybe that was something that they saw would be a good change for their community to have development and um, and to and to become something greater. There. I just wanted to um, just say a couple of things. This week I went and talked to the East Pasco 
um, residence organization, okay? So it was all resident-owned communities. And there was about 100 people in there, and I talked about how we had a moratorium on that. There was, they couldn't stop applauding. So I think the key is that we need to remember that we're here, you know, representing our citizens and what they want. And I appreciate the planning commission, you know, reminding us that we had come to the decision before of 14 units per acre, and then we're kind of backtracking on that. But if we could use a conditional use or, you know, variance, I think that that helps us. So those are the things, I mean, just, just this week, on a Saturday at 2 p.m., the traffic on Island Boulevard was from Shannon's stopped all the way to Fort King. Fort King, okay? And I get on right at Geiger Road, and it took me 20 minutes to get to the next light. I mean, that's, that's on a Saturday at 2 p.m. And then today, coming from Dade City to here, 35 minutes, because once I hit town, you can't get through our town. So I, we're dense. We, we're, our roads can't handle what we have. So I keep hearing that we need stronger density in the interior. We have, we have a lot of people living here now, but that's my opinion. I could be wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I agree, Mayor, and with what Councilman Burgess says, you know, traffic is an issue when we go with the higher density, water, of course, utilities, and then schools. But I like the idea of starting at 14 because we do, they can apply for the variance and we do have conditional use. So, I mean, that can allow us some leeway if we need to add more. And then what, I haven't, this is on a different subject, but what do we consider affordable housing? Because your average apartment is 1,600 bucks. Your, your average home is, I'm talking, this is low end, is a minimum of 21, 2200. <clears throat> Townhouses, 2100. I mean, what? What we've been what building is not affordable. affordable the apartments that have been going in are market rate market apartments. Rate. They're not affordable housing. I, I, that, I think that needs to be cleared up, both obviously in this room, but throughout the community. What is being built is market rate housing. It is not affordable housing. And everyone keeps saying, oh, apartments are affordable. When you see those rates, that is not considered affordable. It has to be 80% of the... Uh, well, of the, 80 to 120 is moderate okay. right. for area median income. And so it's, all of our stuff is market driven. Well, you know, it's ironic to me. I, I owned a duplex right up the street here, and I bought it, I bought it at a good price. And at that time, I was, it, was, it was a duplex. I was renting each side for 375 bucks a month. And we're talking probably about 20 years ago. But to see it go from there, I have employees that can't find a rental because they can't afford, you know, they want security first, last. I mean, yeah. we're talking, you got to come up with Big at grand. least five or six grand. And water, you got to turn it on, power. Mm -hmm. well, and, and look at the cost of utilities has increased. The cost of insurance, property insurance, oh, my property insurance go there. Went, it was increased by 40% on our rental properties. And, you know, it's just, and the taxes have soared. 
So it's not, you know, people think it's within the means of the property owner isn't always in, in, the, in, the, in that control. So, you know, when we talk about low-income housing, can't talk about affordable housing because affordable housing for the majority of our residents is not affordable. I mean, I think low-income housing that is based on income, sliding scale, we see that at, you know, Grand Reserve, at um, Park Place, which hasn't, you know, these federal housing units haven't been built for, you know, 30 years. So, you know, those are the kind of places that have waiting lists for even Somerset Apartments, waiting lists for three years. Mm -hmm. I think that's what Krista was referring to, where, mm -hmm. you know, coming from Tampa, 1600 sounds pretty good, yeah. so they come up and they swoop it all up, and then the people who live here, like your guys, they can't find a place to live. So, I mean, you know, we're in a, this, the, the dilemma is, you don't want to be the cheap guy in the block and, and have all the cheap housing that you know, you were talking about neighborhoods not built well, and then in 20 years you redo everything. At the same time, you want affordable housing that people can live in and, and you know, take care of their family. I, I, well, I and, mean, and affordability is not just the, uh, the house, it's also transportation. So there's other things that communities can do to make it to where people can get by with maybe having one car, and that includes having places that you live closer into town where there were, you know, uh, members of the household can walk around or take their bike, maybe just have one, one car. Um, and that's back to that node center, that shopping yeah. work area uh, surrounded by houses, Parks, that, you know, that idea. Yeah. Near transit service, that sort of thing. So, yeah, we, we look, you know, we may, um, you know, we used to say, like, drive to qualify, you know, but that's, everything seems to be built up now, and there's, it's expensive no matter where you go. But it just adds to the cost, and I, and I think I had mentioned last time, it was like an old number was $9,000 a year to own a car, and I heard a number recently that was much higher than that. But, you know, that really erodes into a household's spending um, a potential. So we need to think about the future of housing and where it's located, not only because of the, uh, the uh, how it's complementary to surrounding land uses, but also just how much it brings down costs. Because if you have less land under your unit and you have the ability to, to own one car, then that's um, some opportunity for savings. But new single family development is gonna be expensive because there's land underneath, right? Well, and I think as we develop, you know, you're talking about some new things with the walkability and stuff. We, we have a, a pretty much an example of that already been done. Silver Oaks Village was under that exact premise. My whole thing, and, and, and that's, the, that's, the, that's the best um, neighborhood in town, I think, when, when you go in there and look at it. But my whole thing is on the density is, let's do that. If, if you can do that with 2,000 people living there and walk into the Y and walk to a place like that, instead of 4,000 people living there, it helps the entire community. So I don't, I don't think it's a matter of, um, oh, we've got to get everybody jammed in one place so they can walk somewhere. It's still the amount of people. We're, we're really going back to what, it, what we started with. Why are we here? And then, you know, we did a moratorium almost a year ago now on, on uh, indoor storage facilities, correct? Well, why do you think there's so many indoor storage facilities? Because there's all these gigantic apartment complexes. Nobody has any place to keep their stuff. So it's going to be, we're going to need even more of those. So, I mean, there's a lot to look at on that. But I, I just think that starting at a certain place and working your way upwards is better than starting up here and hoping that doesn't, you know, 
that's just like I said again that's my opinion I've been banging on that for four years now yeah. so and let me ask you a question does that preclude does us moving it down preclude somebody from coming in and asking for more or talked about keeping the flu, the future land use at 20 units per acre, and one option certainly is changing the straight zoning of R4, your multifamily, reducing that from 20 units per acre to 14 units per acre. So then there, that, that would be the cap. Um, your your zoning is going to dictate the density maximum. And let's also remember that we do that on gross land, so we have, we have, there's a built-in right. yeah. uh, help there actually. Correct. As opposed to what's the buildable land. Correct. Yeah, there's a difference. So, so that would keep the like the CRA, the form-based code. Uh, that's not straight zoning. That's not R4. There's T3, T4, T5 under the form-based code, uh, which we don't have a specific zoning density cap for that. It's just under the future land use, you can go to 20, which we've had some examples where we'd like to go two-story and can't only. So we need to look at that again separately, but. So just to be clear, if we have a density of 20 units per acre, we can have a um, conditional use to limit that to less than 20. Well, that's comp plan we're talking about with the future land use density cap. Talking about, all right. Are you talking about R4? I'm talking about R4. We're talking okay. about kind of the density issue. Right. And the issue is do we stay at 20 now or do we go back to 14? If we go back to 14, we lose the flexibility Correct. of having the ability to go higher if a situation warrants it. That's correct. But if we're at 20, we lose the. Um, ability to, to restrict straight zoning right that's correct so we have to decide do we those want those are the two options I, I see right now really so if you have the ability to go to 20 units per acre by virtue of your future land use in your comp plan and then you say you go down to 14 units per acre in the multifamily you know perhaps because there is that increment that maybe there could be some bonus criteria or rather than saying well we we're going to give you the the 20 if you go through the conditional use process but then it's open to senate bill 102 or you know what i mean it's, so if you bring it down to the 14 you could have a way to ratchet up through performance in some ma manner so proximity to transit proximity to schools um great okay. uh, sidewalks and bike lanes and road or, or close to shopping i think somebody said yeah yeah, because we need to remember that, you know, SB 102, you Yeah, know, we need yeah, to keep that. I, I'm going to tell you, that's, I, I think that's going to get already being challenged. Oh, so, I, already, yeah, I know. So, They're so going to be challenged. It, but I don't see it holding up, and we can, I, I think we just need to say that's I, not I agree. Problem. I don't think we need to factor that one. Cause, I mean, 102 in, in the proper zoning area it doesn't really matter because we're you know it's well, some build 102 but where our problem is is how it supersedes other places right you know commercial industrial land and things like that so I, I, I'm the same way I don't think we need to really factor in that but if to you what give, we're talking about now yeah. but if the, if it has a high enough density uh, to where it can make those those developments viable um, then you do have pressure on your 
commercial industrial areas that you're trying to and create you, employment. You, then you can't build stores and you can't build the things that you want that to needed. be in those or areas. Or job, job yeah. places, you know, employment centers, and mm -hmm. things like That's that. That's really the factor. If we didn't have Senate Bill 102, I think it would be a lot easier. Oh, and with Senate Bill 102, it, what their density is, sides of the property, then you're going to be having two cars or more cars per apartment or something competing with trucks and you know uh, who knows what kind of mess that would be in terms of other traffic issues and all that so Beth I just had a question with Beth Aker um, did something happen since the last workshop that we did have where we had already approved that did something else come into play that we're revisiting it this is a, a long time ago, or I mean, wasn't what, the maybe a year or two ago? Okay, maybe. Yeah, I think there was a little confusion on what the direction was between fourteen and twenty. There wasn't any yeah. confusion. Well, oh, there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of confusion. Say, that I, I, I yeah. think also it was how to go about it too. I mean, what you know. Because we talk about straight zoning, we talk about PUD, we talk about exceptions, you know. Well, we had said we were updating the comprehensive plan, high priority is the, uh, the housing element. And again, a lot of these things that we're talking about, whether it's a performance incentive, we're going to figure all that out. Uh, you know, Gail's working on our community redevelopment plan. We're working on the comp plan housing element. We're trying to get the vision correct first on how, what, where we want to grow and how it's going to look and how it's going to develop and that includes density once we got that vision on all these areas both in town and on the perimeter then we'll come back and and get into the details of land development code uh, any tweaks we want to make to incentivize whatever that vision is so but Todd don't you have isn't density how you get to that vision again is what you start out with when where how you want to grow and develop once with that vision then we come back and tweak whatever we need to through the land development code uh, regulations that could include density that could include height you know architecturally and any standards that we would impose so I so can we if, to be clear we want 14 units per acre outside of the downtown in the form based code CRA zonings, correct? Is that what I'm hearing? All right. Would everyone like to have 14 units per acre kind of on the, I'll say, the perimeter of Zephyr Hills? I think so. Let me ask you a question. I, I'm not sure. Are, are we putting the cart before the horse? Or are we. Um, I kind of feel like. Why don't we let her and, go ahead? And, and the reason I say that is. Um, I think we got to look at the rest of the picture before we actually start coloring I, everything I in. I've mentioned that. I feel like it's the cart before the horse because, again, what we just said, we need to create the vision which provides the framework that's in the comp plan, us and the county. We're both working on that. And once you have the framework with the vision, you accompany that with the land development code with, through the implementation, through zoning, density, heights, you know, how it's going to look, all that. Now, if I if we had a, all these large tracts of R4 zoning left in the city, then 
then, you know, we probably look at it differently, but the fact is we don't. Well, I think that, I mean, I think there's very good arguments for both aspects of the 20 to 14. I, I think there's good pros and cons for both. Um, let me ask you another question. The properties on Pretty Pond at Wire Road by the hospital. Those are entitled. They're done. They're not a subject to the moratorium. Right. And what are they zoned? R4? R4. 20? Yes, with 20 cap. On All the right. Density. So the two right. Okay. Yeah, the, the one at the northwest corner will probably be coming through SPRC next month. The little townhome project on the southeast corner is going through this month. And then the hospital property, they're moving forward again a little bit slower, but that that's a mixture of two and three story apartments the last time we and, and just so we know, isn't anything over two stories conditional use though, right? Correct. So that's where that's through. where we get a bite at it the right. the way that it looks and everything the way we want way we want it to uh, appear the walkability of it open space yeah. and all that height. right height so i right. mean and 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 that was our little bit of control or the control that we had which you've been pretty successful in getting some decent some some good good things from the from the developers yeah. with at the staff level, we're not opposed to going down to 14 units per acre. Again, all the R4 zone property, they have their entitlements ready or in the process, they're in the queue, we'll call it. Um, but it, it, you know, it probably sounds good to the community if we're lowering that density. And I think we just, I'd just like to say from the staff standpoint, once we complete the comprehensive plan, we have the vision, we'd like to reserve the right to come back to you and, and further discuss uh, density, height. Again, uh, Gail and us, we're looking at the CRA, we'll probably want to come back and ask for an increase in the density. I don't really see that out in, generally in the R4, but higher well, we, the higher we go. Well, the, the, we've been, to, first of all, Zephyr Hills has been developing. I mean, we all can agree to that, however long of us have lived here, however long we've been here. It's, so it's not going to stop developing. And we had the 14 acres per unit, and we developed. And, you know, the old adage, land, are not making any more of it. We're still going to have some land. The, the problem we have is, and just like you brought up, we had a workshop on this about a year ago. The longer we keep pushing it out, the more of those things become entitled to where we have the density. So what are we trying to do? So if we keep pushing it out, then eventually that'll all be, you know, where we're sitting at now. So I, I mean, I just think we, there's nothing wrong with going back to 14. We were developing, we'll continue to develop. We just won't have as many people. It'll still be, instead of, like I said, instead of 2,000 people in one area, instead of 4,000 people in one area, it'd be 2,000 people in one area, and, we, and things were going along fine. I don't think any businesses in town are saying, man, I wish I had more people here to come into my, you know, um, you talk, I talk to restaurant, people that own restaurants, they're, you know, we can remember when they used to close in the summertime. Oh. That's not, that hasn't been the case for several years now. So I don't think True. we're going to hurt anybody in that, in that lower than density. In fact, I think most of the oh, residents of the city will be appreciative of it. Well, I was going to say, you know, the higher you go or the more density, the, the higher the water use, the higher the traffic, the higher you need more police officers, the higher you need more uh, building inspectors. I mean, the higher you go, everything else is going up too. Utility guys. So, I but, mean. But less pipes and less length, you know what I mean? Like, 
So when I was driving here tonight, I saw this field on 56 with all these, they're getting ready to lay pipe, you know, and I'm like, oh, every single family house has to have this much, yeah. you know, versus everybody's in a, apartments that's just this much. Um, so it's, there is some economies, I guess. So. Sure. Thank you. So we're saying there's hardly any R4 left, right? Correct. But is that accurate if some of these older mobile home parks decide to go away? Are, is that R4 where a lot of those are? Then in, instantaneously you have a whole parcel again. Right. Because it, we've heard those be. rumorings around, you know, where... It, yeah, yeah, there's that's always the potential for rezonings. Yeah. Okay, that's that's what I was, you know, because you know some of these land these developers are looking at that sure. that they're not making as much money on these as they used to. So let's change that. But just, and you know we might better let Tammy go ahead and finish on up her presentation because I thought two hours was going to be plenty, but I don't think it's going to be. So. How much more do we oh, have? It's just a, oh, we just have the actions. That's okay. all. Okay. Okay. You want so, me to run through them real fast? Yeah, you if you to, don't mind. Okay. So we, our first uh, action, which I guess my file didn't upload or uh, update, but our first action was putting that notation on the density table in the in the land development code to say that conditional uses for higher um, structures would only be entertained within a certain area. That, so for example, your CRA. The second, although this says one, is to look at those comprehensive plan policies that guide and direct your uh, new development, and that would be through the uh, establishment of place types. So that would layer on top of your future land use map to say that, you know, this particular place type is meant to either continue to be what it is or it has a vision to be something different, but it would be a more refined future land use map instead of, um, you know, res three being the same throughout your entire community. It'd be different depending on its context. And then also the city's gonna be kicking off a mobility plan. Uh, there was a state grant that was issued that's gonna probably happen in January, be completed by probably uh, the middle of June. And that will be looking at recommendations for, you know, multimodal ways of getting around town, maybe looking at some of the street grids, maybe there's more uh, network that we could add to maybe lessen up some of the congestion on some of those main roads and then also looking at some complete streets sort of creating streets that are more conducive to walking and biking um, just some policies regarding that second or third would be to tailor the land development regulations to create those multi-family specific standards uh, based on context so if you're this area if you're in this place type and you want to do multifamily, then these are the standards that are applicable to you. Could create very different situations between your in-town and then your your um, your suburban rural fringe. And then our fourth one is to kind of like wrap it all up in a bow: is that you you pair your planning with your fiscal um, decisions. So if you're going to be thinking about where you're going to spend infrastructure dollars to prioritize some of those places that you really want to see growth directed to, um, such as your CRA area or the Gall Boulevard corridor. Uh, and then in doing that, thinking about what the community said about where shall we grow, how shall we grow during those workshops, and then um, having that roll into your capital improvements program. So 
I think we've had some thoughts already, <laughs> but this is a, but this is really back to the discussion prompt that we had, and I think that you've been all discussing uh, this throughout. So I'll just leave it at this and uh, answer any questions that you have, and uh, looking forward to some direction for your staff going forward. I'd like to ask this question, you know, because. Everything was affordable when, or not everything, but a lot of things were more affordable when rates were at 2% than they are at 8% now. Um, so I guess what as a city, I mean, I was, I, I know Councilwoman Wilson talked about like for affordable, I mean, I think about we do, you know, accessory units and stuff like that, but then if I own one of those accessory units, I want to get market rate for it, you, you know? So, I mean, is, is it really something that we can actually do? Well, I know some communities, including my community, at one point when they when you were given a permit to do an accessory dwelling, you needed to um, show in some manner that it was affordable. And then they, they gave up on that because it was too much tracking. But there are things that you can do as a city. Um, I mean, I don't know the, exactly what your policies are, but I know some cities create, like they might provide um, surplus property. So just to give that to somebody who's gonna come in with the agreement that the, the uh, units are gonna be on a more affordable scale. Um, you know, there, I don't know, if, there, there's probably some things that you can do as a city just to look into what the policies are relative to um, just reducing the cost to build housing and then the, having that cost savings be transferred to the, um, the, the property owner or the renter. And that's the problem, getting it to the person who needs it, you know, getting that savings to the renter who, instead of paying $1,800, can now pay $1,100 or whatever. Yeah. Have you heard of the concept of community land trust, where the, the land is held in perpetuity under some common ownership, but the, the units can be bought and sold, but when they're sold, they can only escalate so much in, in value, I guess, to go on to the next person. But you can hold those properties for 100 years, and that's one way of kind of keeping those prices down. Those are kind of, isn't that kind of concept of habitat? I don't know if they do community land trust, but they probably, I, I suspect that they may have some it, of that. You know, I, I was just thinking. Well, I was just thinking that, you know, we, we do have federal low-income cost housing. If we could work up a deal maybe where you could um, renovate or re do a, a mobile home park into some kind of a habitat type community or something where, I mean, one of the problems, I mean, even habitat homes, they said, are going like $300,000, isn't it? I mean, so is there blew my yeah. mind. So the newest ones, 338 in Dade City. Um, I mean, yeah, in the new cove development, that's what they are appraising for. And my daughter's was um, a year ago was two sixty something, and now it's wow, it's over three hundred. If I so, could just yeah, oh, sorry. yeah. Sorry, just one other question. I think for me, that's the question, and that is, can we? How can we incentivize folks who develop? low-income housing like you said we don't want to be those people but the reality is is that we have we we need to have some element of our community you know earmarked for those folks who aren't going to be able who are going to be completely displaced so how do we how do we attract developers how do we attract funding 
creative funding for those kinds of projects. <clears throat> you can increase density and, and allow the developer to go up two extra floors or an extra floor, and then you do... State your name. I'm sorry, Gail Hamilton, CRA director. You could also say 25% of your development has to be uh, affordable housing. And define what that is. And right. define it. Low income. I don't even want to use the word affordable anymore because but it's one not. of the things the CRA is looking at right now is there are pockets of the CRA district that is uh, affordable housing, what we would consider affordable housing, but it is not um, the kind of housing that you would want to live in. Substandard. It's mm -hmm. substandard. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of substandard housing in the CRA. So how do we... Um, buy that land, buy those properties, um, and turn that property into a project for affordable housing that is worth living in. That's something that everybody in the community can be proud of. Those are the things that we're looking at right now. The CRA is updating their master plan. We'll have a public meeting in January where we get the folks that live in the district to tell us what they would like to see. And one of the questions is density in the um, asset um, report that the consultants did, GAI did for the CRA. They said the way to get rid of your substandard housing is to provide that missing middle with higher density housing. So we're hoping to come back to the CRA board with some ideas on how the CRA can incentivize that. How do you get the developer to come in and, and you want him to make money. If, you don't, if he doesn't or she makes money, they won't do any more. Um, but how do you do that and do it correctly for, future, for the future? I had a conversation today with a property owner in the CRA district, a developer, a restaurant uh, owner, and a resident. They all want, I want them to come, I want the restaurant to come here. There are no nighttime restaurants in downtown. How do you get them? The developer said, you don't have enough people living downtown that can walk downtown. The resident said to me, I moved downtown because I wanted, I didn't want to get in the traffic. I work from home. I only have to go into Tampa twice a month. I wanted to be able to walk from my home downtown to shop, eat, meet my friends, and I see the sidewalks coming. The city is, put, you know, is building the sidewalks, but where are the restaurants? And so I'm trying to talk to all of these people, and we all want the same thing. We just can't figure out how to, it's a chicken and egg. The developer says I can't make any money building downtown because you don't have enough rooftops downtown. You don't have the rooftops that make the income that we need to build a restaurant. So yes, there's traffic on 301 and we have, five years ago or six years ago, I sat in a meeting with DOT and DOT told us that by 2024, it would take 45 minutes to get from one end of town to the other on 301 in Zephyr Hills. And we all laughed. Yeah, <laughs> we did. I know. We all laughed. It we has said, been six or that. seven months ago. I started at Advent and tried to drive through town, and it took me 45 minutes to get through town. That is amazing to me. 
but we have a niche market for the CRA of people who don't need to get on the on the road. They would rather ride their bike, walk, and work from home and have businesses or be able to visit the businesses downtown. So, and part of the master plan update is going to look at how do we attract that person, that market to downtown that wants to live in an apartment, they don't want a yard, they don't want any kind of maintenance, they want somebody else to take care of it for them so that when they're ready to leave, they can lock that door and go. And there is a large market that we just need to figure out how to bring them here. Because it does take a, a, you know, a group, a different diverse group of housing to make a community. We need those single family homes. There's a market that's only going to look at single family homes. But the next generation, my child does not want a single family home. He wants an apartment. He does not want to take any kind of maintenance. And he wants to be able to go down the elevator and out the door to eat, to recreate, to go to the park. Those are the things that the next generation are looking at. And we need to give them a product. The, the downtown is the best place to do it. So that's my two cents. In the back. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if it was discussed already. Oh, I'm sorry. Ellen Taylor, uh, Planning Commission. I'm not sure if it was discussed already, but you did you? I'm not sure if she discussed it, but it, did you speak about maybe for density purposes? How much land do you have to build on, as far as density goes? as far as like housing. So the city has a joint planning area around the city, mm -hmm. um, which is really um, the lands that would come into the city to become part of the city of Zephyr Hills through annexation. So there is land available and there's, and there's some vacant lands. I think we showed a map earlier of some vacant lands. So I can't okay. give you a number, but, okay. but there is still opportunity for uh, housing development. Okay. And Yes. I, I don't, I don't, yes. Is it that one? So, yeah. Okay. It was printed out green. Oh, okay. okay. And we did already discuss trying to branch it out, correct? Or like the, what we have here, trying to branch it out in order to create less density? Like so, so we're looking at two opportunities. I mean, typically the growth is easiest outside in the greenfield areas. But there's a redevelopment component within the city of Zephyr Hills that's uh, attractive and, and desirable for certain types of housing. So we're, we're working with both. Um, but, the, I, but the issue was that the multifamily development that was taller was sometimes in locations that may not be compatible with its surroundings. So there were, there were issues associated with being too far out and creating traffic and using up open space and things like that. So we did talk more about that last meeting. I don't know if, if no, you were you were in here. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, you missed that. Can I just say something? I mean, trends change. We go back to the fifties and sixties. Everybody lived in the cities in big, giant, tall buildings, and they moved out to the suburbs and created subdivisions. Trends are changing. Younger people want to live in the cities now, and that's fine. 
you know that you know that is a good uh, what prerogative and trends will probably change back again but as far as like restaurants and you know I, I think about Dade City they've got like three or four nice restaurants down there they don't they don't have big giant apartment buildings right in their downtown so people are still going there it's not like you know yeah everybody likes to have a restaurant outside their door but it's just not going to happen I mean you know people are always saying oh I don't know I've gone on a red lobster or whatever well do we want 40,000 more people to move here just so we can get a Red Lobster or an Olive Garden? I don't think that's what we want either. We'll drive. I agree. I think, you know, I think it was clear this idea of redevelopment, that, that the higher density is okay in the redevelopment areas. Yeah, redevelopment. It's, it's really these, you know, taking this pristine land and developing that, you know, with five-story office, I mean, five-story apartment buildings. I agree. That's probably, I think, what most of us are opposed to. One thing, Rod Corvo, senior planner, one thing I'd like to follow up with, I'm hearing that the council wants some direction on how we handle this notion of affordable housing. Without hog tying the city to endless taxpayer dollars to affordable housing, one unique way we handled this in the Keys was by doing set-asides, meaning we had a certain d density level. If you wanted to go above that, you could go up 20% above the base level with the caveat that you did a deed restriction for 40 or 50 years, let's say it's on a fee simple home. You, the property owner, when they sold it, could not realize more than a 3% per year increase in that property value. So what that did is if someone bought a home for 300,000 and sold it the next year, they could only realize a 3% gain on that for that one year. That way, and those units, let's say they were in a townhome project, those units were uh, put into the townhome units in a staggered fashion so that those affordable units are not all corralled into one section, but they were interdispersed. Because let's just face it, there's a stigma on this affordability crisis, right? But in the end, as I believe Councilman Spinner pointed out, 86, or uh, Councilman Wilkinson, $86,000 a year, okay, many people of the city don't even make that type of money. So affordable for who? So that breaks down that stigma. Because as we learned uh, with the, uh, how we did public housing in this country years ago, when you put all the people that make a certain amount over here and then all the other people over here, it doesn't work in a building those strong communities which we need in this community. Okay? Well, and that's a good example because Key West, there was no place for service workers to live. Exactly. And yeah. that's why they had to come up with creative solutions. Yeah. Thank you, Rodney. Yeah, and, and we're talking about the differences between, you know, we need, you know, we, we, we dance around this affordable housing label, I guess lower income housing for uh, residents and to live. But I don't think we want to be in, in the Tampa Bay area that our subdivisions are also the lowest priced. Exactly. That, that's what I'm getting at. I, I mean, you know, we're getting people from up there because it's cheaper, but a lot of them, they're not going to become community residents. They're going to commute back and forth. They're going to, you know, and it, it's hard to say this, I guess, but, you know, we want, we're trying to build a community that everybody can live in. So we need, like you said, we need all types of housing diverse diverse and and price wise and everything else but when a habitat home is 300 some thousand dollars 
-hmm. we're, we're, in, we're in trouble. In trouble. And I remember, I remember when we were against 40-foot lots, mm -hmm. and then we look at Silver Oaks, and one of the reasons that works is because there, there's a homeowners association, and there's a sense of community, and there's a sense of connectedness within that or within that neighborhood people walk around I mean you know and they are very they're fiercely protective of that and that's why even 40 foot lots that particular development worked great when you have a huge plot of land and it's all cookie cutter houses and they're all the same and they don't have that kind of strength in 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 the homeowners association that's when we end up with the slums mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and, and um, I know you said, how do we find a way? So with the habitat, our East Pasco habitat, we're doing our first um, duplexes. Never done that. Or townhomes. townhomes. They're going to be very similar to the ones right here on 9th Avenue or 7th Avenue here or 7th Street, whatever this road is in right. front of us. That <laughs> one-way street, street. Yeah. Tara, you whatever. You go out and you hang yeah. it right. right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and there are 12, you know, 12 of them in there. They're going to have their own little HOA and everything. That's going to keep that affordable. For our CEO has tried for years to find property here in Zephyr Hills and can't find any, you know, that they can do something like that. And so hopefully, and, and I was wa reading and saw a little thing on, I think it was in St. Pete, where they took some rundown hotels and they've renovated in, into efficiency units for, um, you know, lower income. lower income, where, and it, and they made them look beautiful. So, you know, there are, like, like um, Randy said, the developers have great ideas. They'll come in and they'll figure it out. So there's a lot of, of ways it can happen. It's just right now, there's you know, not in much of County, it. they're look, looking more at um, Grayfield areas, so God. old shopping centers, or having, um, reducing the parking requirements in places that are in town where people could potentially walk or have shorter drive distances and using some of that land for apartments in on your commercial location. So I think with the habitat, probably the price consideration is because those they've been building single family homes mostly. But other places, I believe there's maybe in the Fort Myers area, they're doing actual apartments. And that's why we looked at doing that. And Not this is the first, first time it that- It was more missing middle apartments. Yes, yes. You know, like the quadruplexes and things mm -hmm. like that. Yep, so. It'll be interesting to see how it ends up, but we we were excited to look at that option because they are doing that in habitats, different places. Council President, yes. My recommendation would be to go with what Ronnie was talking about with Key West is let's reduce it to 14. That's been the mm -hmm. conversation for the last hour and a half, plus an hour, plus two hours, whatever the other meeting was. But give a bonus if we want for if they want to do affordable housing, whatever that we define as a city, mm -hmm. what affordable is and what we require. Sure, allow them to go to twenty percent. If we do, if we reduce it to fifteen units per acre, twenty percent above that takes you to eighteen units an acre. So it gets you close to the twenty. Allow staff to work on that and bring it back before the board. Right, and I think we all recognize that we, if it's the right project and the right exactly. something we need then obviously we need to take a hard look at it, you know. Right. That's where so. the variance comes in. And I wonder if we could have staff look at, um, uh, maybe with Tammy, look at um, 
some of the uh, um, innovative, other innovative ideas. Because, I mean, Key West isn't the only place that couldn't, I mean, Longboat Key, uh, Indian Rocks, all those coastal areas, they can't, people that work in those places can't afford to live there. So, you know, if we look at right. some kind of innovative housing things, I mean, we brought up a couple ideas today, the idea of redeveloping a, a mobile home parks. Right. Um, yeah, and we've talked about, we know there's going to be RV and mobile home parks and subdivisions that transition into something new and better. A lot of opportunity there, I think. It's just preparing ourselves for that. And, but, yeah, I, I think 14 units per acre, dropping the density in R4 zoning, that's what we're talking about, correctly. And, uh, you know, all these other caveats, I think, yeah, we, we want some time, but we could do that right now is drop the density, leave the flu at 20, drop the density in R4 down to 14. And then uh, as far as the affordability and all these other caveats or incentives or, or uh, other opportunities, we, we, we want to look at that. I think that that'll take time for us to do that, but... So I just want to make sure we're clear, should we start with the, the 14 units, drop that down to that? And then we're, we're going to continue to research as part of our housing element, the comp plan update, look at all the other options and ideas that we can come up with that cities are getting creative to address affordability. We, yeah, we're not going to try to answer affordability tonight. That's going to take sure. some effort. Explain. That, all right, so for the zoning density, you're going to go... 14 units per acre under r4 zoning only right so what is, is what the I'm flu hearing. the future land use 20 mean that can stay at 20 units per acre so that's a maximum so that doesn't affect our zoning in r4 but in the form based code the cra area that gives us the opportunity to stay at 20 units we per acre. we got our cake and eat it yes. too right <laughs> we could have done that an hour ago. <laughs> we could have saved four and a half hours, right? Well, good, thanks. I like that. But, but obviously that's not the only element by any means that we've discussed in going yeah. through our comp plan. I mean, that's a, that's exactly. a comprehensive guide to our growth. So, Correct. Um, baby steps. We don't have to amend the comp plan to do that. We don't have to go through the state. That's something simple, quick, that we can do locally. Very good. Is that the consensus of everyone? Yep. You all like that? I'm... We need to take formal action. I don't believe so. I think. No, oh, but I just can. want to hear is there, there's a consensus amongst the council to yeah. go that direction, please. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, let me say one thing to you. The people who live in Zephyr Hills are going to praise you for this decision. Not on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too little, too late. <laughs> it's all bad. Yeah. All right. Anything else right now? So, so we're going to continue to work through the comp plan. So, and thank you. All right. Thanks again. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and break, and we have a meeting starting at six. Thank you so much for being here. Planning Commission, uh, it's adjourned. <laughs>